fear is a good thing. Fear is good. For me, uh, I want to be a positive person. Like Dana's real positive now. He's always, he's always, you know, running towards the carrot. I'm always running from the stick. You know, I got up every day and I trained my ass off because I assumed that my opponent was going to beat me up and that he was training accordingly, right? So that fear kept me motivated, kept me engaged. So I've realized that happiness truly is a state of mind that I do not have. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fits in a Fighter. This is my brand new podcast. I'm super pumped about it. And first of all, thank you for hitting play. I'm Brendan Fitzgerald, and I know what you might be thinking. We do not need another podcast. We don't need another MMA podcast, Brendan. And I hear you. There are a lot of options out there. But I wouldn't have launched the show if I didn't think it would offer you and other UFC fans something new that you might really like. So, what can you expect from the show? Well, the name says it all. Fitz and a fighter. Fitz, of course, is me, Brendan Fitzgerald. You may know me from my work as a UFC play-by-play announcer. A fighter, well, I'm going to have one guest on each show. It'll be a UFC fighter, or it could be a coach, or somebody interesting that I think UFC fans would love to hear from. What will set this show apart is that these interviews will all be in person. No guests on the phone or on web chat. I've done a lot of those interviews in my career, and you just lose so much in terms of connecting with somebody face-to-face. I would rather do less shows of higher quality than bang out a bunch of episodes but not have that face-to-face connection to get the deeper stories, the more in-depth stories that we're looking for. And it's not a knock on shows that use those. They are timely, and they are topical, I listen to them all the time. They're useful. But this show will be a little different. The other thing, these interviews will be about the fighters themselves and them only. Where they're from, their backgrounds, what's ultimately made them who they are. And also, we're going to get some really cool behind-the-scenes stories from the biggest moments of their careers that we watched. But of course, we don't know everything that happened behind the curtain. The show is designed to be evergreen, meaning you can listen at any time. They're not going to be about topics of the week the latest fights, a reaction to a recent fight in their division. I won't get everyone's take on Conor McGregor and the latest news or other things that don't concern their story. My first guest is former UFC champion Forrest Griffin, and we'll get to him in a moment. I won't spend a lot of time at the top of each show. I'll get right to the interviews. But just this being the first episode, I want to give a brief backstory of why I launched the podcast. I've been on TV for about 11 years. I came up the ranks as a sports anchor for different local news stations, and I eventually got myself to ESPN. And it was while I was there with three days changed the course of my career. There was a mini course given to hosts and reporters and producers. It was taught by a man named John Sawatsky. It was three days in a conference room, nine to five. And I learned more about being on television in those three days from John than I did in four years of college and to that point about seven years of pro experience, which sounds downright crazy, but it's true in my opinion. If you ever run into me and you want to hear more about it, I'll gladly do that. I love to talk about it, but I'll give you the short version here. What John taught me is that broadcasting and great sports coverage boils down to a simple equation of input and output. When I'm hosting a show, when I'm doing highlights, when I'm calling a fight, I'm kind of performing, for lack of a better term. I'm the output, if you will. But when I'm a host on the desk and I'm working with analysts, or if I'm interviewing a fighter or interviewing somebody, well, then I switch to being input. And the output, the performer, is the expert or it's the person being interviewed. If I'm on the desk, my job is to get the best out of uh, Michael Bisping or Tyron Woodley or whoever the analyst is. They're the former UFC fighters or the UFC fighters or the former champions, the guys that have the real experience, whose opinion really matters. I don't want to overshadow them. I want to get the best out of them. Same with interviews. Short questions to get long answers that are meaningful, that tell a story, instead of giving us a cliche we've heard a million times. That simple equation changed my outlook. I felt like I had been doing it wrong a lot in my career to that point. What I did right was almost by accident. But I was excited to put it into practice. And the truth is, most of that three-day course was centered around interviewing skills. And my jobs just simply haven't really been in that direction. I love play-by-play. The job I have right now is the best job I've ever had. But having an interview show is also something that I've really wanted to do since learning all these skills. And I realized instead of waiting for somebody to ask me if I wanted to host their interview show on their network or their station or for this production, I should just start one myself. 
It's 2019 and technology is a great thing. And so here it is. I started my own interview show. That leads me to my first guest. This fighter rose to fame by taking part and, of course, winning the first season of The Ultimate Fighter. He turned that into a Hall of Fame UFC career, became a light heavyweight champion, and he still works for the UFC today. Here he is making history once again. My guest for episode one of Fits in a Fighter, Forrest Griffin. Forrest Griffin. Yes, sir. What's happening, Brian? How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. I believe this is the inaugural podcast we're doing right now. That's what I told you. Uh, well, I mean, even if it's not true, I'm honored that you at least lied to me and told me that <laughs> you're going to open your podcast series of interview fighter interviews That's right. with me. You're making history once again. That's, oh, man. Just, just like 2005 all over again. That's right. We'll get to that in a second. How is life for Forrest Griffin these days? Things are good, man. Things are good. Uh, work a lot. You know, it's funny. Uh, here's something I've figured out about myself, and I don't know if you're the same way, but I am going to be stressed. I'm going to be stressed out, whether it's a person that's going to punch me in the face or a deadline or, um, you know, I, I was recently tweeting that uh, fear is a good thing. Fear is good. For me, uh, I want to be a positive person. Like Dana's real positive now. He's always, he's always, you know, running towards the carrot. I'm always running from the stick. You know, I got up every day and I trained my ass off because I assumed that my opponent was going to beat me up and that he was training accordingly, right? So that fear kept me motivated, kept me engaged. Uh, so a lot of times at work, I'm frustrated, you know. I'm, I didn't come up through an office. I, I, I took a little bit of a shortcut here. Yeah. But I still have, like, office duties, like responsibilities. And I get frustrated and I get angry and afraid. But that's, you know, I metabolize that into actually getting work done. So I've realized that happiness truly is a state of mind that I do not have. So I wake up every day <laughs> and I make a choice to not be happy but to get shit done. But you're okay with that? I, you know, I've accepted it. I've accepted it for sure. That's me. It's just the way I'm wired, man. Let's go back into finding out more of how you're wired. When people ask you where you're from, what do you tell them? Where I'm from? I mean, I guess Ohio-ish by way of Georgia, mostly Georgia. Mm -hmm. so. Where'd you grow up? Augusta, Georgia, baby. Tell me about growing up, your family, what you were like as a well, kid. Well, we mostly were Tiger Woods fans because he <laughs> won the Masters in 97 when he was like 21. No, uh, no, man, let's see. Uh, pretty average, you know. Uh, it was me and my mom mostly growing up. Um, what happened to your dad? Awesome mom. Um, well, he's a good guy. I talk to him every now and again. He actually moved to North Carolina for work. They divorced when I was 18 months old. Okay. And, uh, you know, so... He lived a couple states away. I didn't see him that much. He's a good guy, though. I talked to him. I, I still have to call him for Easter. He texts me. I want him to get to talk to my daughter. He's never met my daughter, but. What's that like? You, well, so I had, I had a really good stepdad. Okay. So my, my, step, my stepdad lives like three miles from me now. So your stepdad was your dad. Yeah. Well, he came in, he came in the picture when I was like 13, 14. And a lot of people don't like their stepdads. But we moved out of the inner city into the suburbs into a house with a pool when I met my stepdad. And we bought, like, a new car that didn't break down all the time. So to me, my stepdad's, like, the hero. <laughs> and so I always, had, I always had a plan because I grew up that way. I had a plan. And I noticed that all the hot chicks out of high school, they got married right away because Augusta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. Enough said, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then they all got divorced after they had a couple kids. And then they, like, you know, they got fit again and they got really into you know, healthy and all that good stuff. And I thought, I will just, I'll just not get married for like five years. And then I'll just catch one of those women coming out of their divorce when they're like getting re-hot. And then I'll just you'll be a good stepdad and I don't even need to have kids of my own. And that's a way to, uh, to kind of outkick my coverage, as they say. But I didn't need that one because I ended up getting on TV. Right. I had uh, strategies, man. I got, I got, yeah, I got and ideas. And we're going to get to all of this. I like to go timeline. 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 Yeah. So growing up as a kid, what would you say Forrest Griffin was like as a kid? Oh, man, what was I like as a kid? Uh, you know, I was a kind of a big, goofy klutz. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't super funny. Uh, a little bit of an introvert. Um, you know, sports was always the thing I had. I mean, I wasn't particularly good at them. But thank goodness I was relatively big and durable. What sports? Football, basketball, even a little baseball, which I hated. Mm -hmm. um, it turns out baseball is not fun if you can't hit the ball. Right. 
That's that's a big part of baseball, getting <laughs> enjoyment out of it. Otherwise, you're just sitting there eating seeds. Right. Um, and yeah, yeah, even a little track. So just a sport, whatever was happening, I would do it. Any brothers, sisters? Uh, I have a little brother that is, that uh, again, my, my half-brother, uh-huh. uh, he's 14 years younger than I am. Okay. So he wasn't part of your growing up? No, not initially. School. Not initially. And I, I think I left the house when he was like five, too. So. Okay. Any combat sports growing up? No, but this is funny. Um, in high school, I was a really rough basketball player, and I played a lot of street ball, and I got in a lot of fights playing basketball where okay. I would just foul somebody. I was an idiot. I would, like, take charges in street ball. It's just a bad mentality I had or maybe a good mentality I had if you're <laughs> going to be a fighter. And so I would get into fights. And I realized, not that I was good at fighting, but that I didn't mind it. Like, a lot of people got whatever. Uh, it's funny. I found this out early. A kid told me that he was going to beat me up after school, and I stressed all day. I was, like, ruined. But then, if that same kid were to just, like, punch me in the face, and we'd be going, I'd be great. And I'd be like, cool, we're in a fight. Let's do it. So just, just yeah. I mean, just, and it's just like, you know, like the fear of public speaking. I'm sure you have it. I still have it. Um, but once you get going and you're like, okay, I'm in a rhythm. All right. I got, this is great. This yeah. is great. Right. You always like, tell me if this is the same, but you go into public speaking and say, I hate this. I don't know why I do this. And then you leave after you've had a talk, even if it's not the greatest, you think this is awesome. I can't wait to do that again. Well, you're correct in that the anxiety comes in the preparation and I don't do a lot of public speaking, but in my job as a play by play announcer, yeah, yeah. I want to make sure I'm prepared yeah, yeah. and it's way more stressful putting together notes in preparation of the broadcasts. And I will say, you're right. Once you say hi and hello and you're on the air, there's no oh, choice and you great. love it. Yeah, this yeah. is great. So you're saying for a fight, you found out as a young age, how old were you? Uh, probably 12, 13. You found out then that being in the fight, you didn't mind it. No, not at all. And it just like, nothing really hurts in a fight. And then when it hurts later, it's kind of funny. And I, I remember getting beat up really bad in eighth grade. And it shut both my eyes up. And, uh, Everybody, like, it was kind of almost funny, though, because I was the center of attention. It's kind of like, cool, man. <laughs> it is just totally unrelated. You know, I would have gone into a career that had nothing to do with fighting except, you know, by chance. So, yeah. you know, just, just the mentality. So how often did you get in fights? Uh, I don't know. Maybe 20 a year. 20 fights a year? Yeah, maybe. About that. You know, so we're like, and uh, how did some that of them affect? be at football practice. Or, right. I do remember, I, t- I talk about this fight a lot. I got in a fight playing street ball at Martinez Elementary with a guy, and I knew him, and um, I forget what happened, but we got into it, and he was a grown man. I think he was like a brick mason or something, and he hit me, and he was probably in his 30s, and I remember thinking, oh, that's different. <laughs> like, whoa, that rung my bell. That was, that, was, that guy even punched. So I forget what happened. Um, I guess he got tired of punching me. And then we finished the game. And I'll tell you what, we stayed away from each other. It wasn't just me staying away from him. Yeah. He stayed away from me because he didn't want to have to break his hands on my face. <laughs> I, ta- I taught him. How did it, being in so many fights affect your I wasn't life? so many. I mean, a lot of them would be like a football. You know, you grab each other by the face. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I did get arrested my senior year of high school for getting in a fight with my best friend. Tell me about that story. Oh, man. Uh, well, I told my buddy... I forget, well, it's a stupid story. I won't even get into it. But anyway, I told my friend, he's an awesome dude. He was a Marine for 20 years, uh, total psycho, but in a good way. Uh, I told him we we're going to fight today after school. And then we like both had jobs. So we were like, trying to arrange our work schedules. And he was just basically like, it's too hard to arrange our schedules. And he just came at me and just started beating the crap out of me. And I was literally saying, I'm not going to fight you at school, idiot. I'm not going to fight you at school. And um, so anyway, he knocked me down. And uh, he was on top of me, and, like, as we're going and, like, kicking and screaming, you know, uh, an assistant principal came in and got his arm broken. So we had to go to jail. Yeah, so. So the cops came to school. Cops came to school, and, oh, the best ever. So I'm in the back of the police car. This is before my shoulders hurt, so being handcuffed behind your back wasn't a big deal at the time. And uh, Alice Cooper's school's out for summer, played on the radio as I'm driving to jail. In the cop car. Yeah. Best friend was in the back with you? No, different car. Different different car. car. Same cell? Uh, No, no, no. Different holding cells, too. And then when you get out of jail, how did you get out of jail? I I, I don't remember. I think we just, I think we got out later that day or maybe the next morning. 
Um, Who bailed you out? My mom, because the school called our parents. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we saw each other and we were kind of laughing as we were driving away. And then we went, uh, had to go to court. And uh, has another hilarious story, you know, just maybe in May. And then, you know, I played Nolo Contendere, and so did he, and we both got off. And he was already, I think he was already uh, signed up to join the Marines. His dad was in the Marines. And, um, you know, I said, well, can I just make a statement here? And then the guy was like, you realize this is court. Anything you say will be held against you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but, but like, you've already given the judgment. Can I make a statement? He's like, no, it would change my judgment. I was like, okay. It was just pretty funny. Like, what were you going to say? I don't even remember. I don't remember. Just so you didn't make a statement? No, I never made the statement. But what were you going to say? You don't remember? Yeah, I think I was just going to say, you know, I just want to know that I didn't throw a punch. You know, I kicked at him, but it was purely defensive. I had no intention of doing this. We'd made a plan. He just didn't stick to it. He just couldn't be bothered with logistics. You wanted to justify. Yeah, yeah. I wanted, to get, I wanted my side of the story to be told, but it never was. Until now. Thank you, Brendan. You're welcome. Now I've told my story. That's why I started this show. Yeah, there you go. After high school, you go to college. I did. Where'd you go? University of Georgia. What was the plan? I, I, I didn't really have a plan. I kind of messed around trying to play football, but my passion for football wasn't even there. Neither was my size or speed. So I was like, eh, I'm not going to do this. And then I... Well, I got into the police academy right pretty early, like at 20. Okay. And um, I just, around that same time, I found some guys who were literally just fighting, like at the college gym. Um, so I saw some guys literally fighting, and I was like, all right. So I did that. And then there was like a club wrestling team, so I did that. And there was a club judo team, so I did that. And I actually competed in judo and got beat up, even as a white belt. Um, competed in boxing, got beat up. Um, so I would just basically go to all these clubs, and then I met these guys, the singers, Adam and Roy Singer, and then, you know, they're putting it all together, and we would drive to Atlanta, and we found some Muay Thai guys, and go come and go to Thailand and bring Thai coaches back, and it just all fell into place. When you say you saw the guys fighting, what do you mean by fighting? I mean, literally, like, people were, like, kind of fighting, and then I thought, was it organized? Was it MMA? Yeah, yeah, it was MMA. Okay. Like with gloves on. Yeah. Big gloves. Uh, big gloves, punches, no kicks, knees, takedowns, wrestling. And um, I, th- I just thought, that looks cool. I could do that. You know? It was just like you see a fight on TV and you think, ah, oh, I bet I could do that. When did you think you could become a fighter? Uh, I don't know. It's crazy. Like, I don't know. Like. After it was done, I was like, yeah, I could have probably done that. Yeah. I mean, I had my first fight maybe a year after I started training. So what's first, the police academy or fighting? The police academy. So you're in the police academy. And boxing, boxing uh, in USA Games, boxing and doing tough man contests yeah. in the police academy. I did both those. And I lost. And then you're a, police, <laughs> you're a police officer. Yeah. And then I was in college, so I had to, I had to scale back competing for about a year and then I actually quit my job because I'd won a couple fights and I thought that I could make similar money and then maybe maybe make it to the UFC you know that's your ultimate goal right or even pride at the time I was a big fan of pride I thought because I wasn't a great wrestler and being more free that that maybe those rule sets and in the ring would suit my style a little better at that time. So tell me about making the decision to quit your job. Do you remember that? Yeah. um, I had a fight scheduled and I couldn't get the time off. And I was already out of contract, right? So if you quit before your two years plus probation, you owe them your free police academy. But I'd already done all that. So I thought I could just go back to it, you know. And I was still a student. I, I I wasn't broke at the time. So then I quickly became an ultimate fighter or a cage fighter, a professional cage fighter, and I quickly became broke. I think the first thing I did was break my hand uh-huh. in practice. Um, and then, like all smart people, I broke my hand. I immediately committed a felony. I, uh, I took out like uh, eight grand in student loans, and then I withdrew from all classes, took the money, and I bought myself a new hand. You hear people bag on the medical system, but uh, it's not what you'd think. Like, I broke my hand and arm when I was uninsured, and I went in and was like, fix me. And they're like, oh, you need a plate put in. I was like, cool, do it. 
yeah, sure, I'll sign whatever. And they're like, no, 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 you don't have any insurance or money. We're not going to do a surgery. It's like, and the guy was real cool. He's like, I'll just keep casting it and do the best I can, but I don't think it'll heal right. So but, what happened? Well, I mean, my arm healed itself about a decade later. So I broke that. It was an elephant non-union joint. I never had the money to actually get the surgery or the plate put in. And then it hurt. Even it hurt, but bothered me on the Ultimate Fighter. And then it kind of worked itself out. And with this one, this one, I took out the student loans. And I got seven pins put in my hand. It's a great investment for eight grand, too. I advise anybody to do that. Fix your hand. Yeah. Get, get, especially if it's your right hand and you write with that hands. hand. Yeah. It was so cool, though, right? I got to be broke. I got to live on Admiral Roy's couch. No money. No functional car. I had an awesome stepdad, so I always had a car, but, like, it didn't always work. <laughs> you know, like, I would buy the, the beaters for, like, 200 bucks, 300 bucks, And, uh, you know, I tell you what, though, if you, when you're young, it's good to be poor and hungry and, and really, like, I mean, there are times I was really depressed. I wanted to quit and yada, yada. But uh, looking back, I'm like, man, that's awesome. Now, don't get me wrong. I could never do it again. So I'm fat, I'm comfortable, I'm happy, you know, I've got a family and a house and, you know, I got that, that, that American dream, right? But it's good. Everybody should go through a little bit of that time in their life. Even if it's like joining the Army or doing a couple of years in Peace Corps where you just suck, life sucks for a little bit. And for me, it was that, that in-between time trying to fight for like 500 bucks and breaking my hand and trying to finish college and just being a mess, you know? It made you who you are. Yeah, it's a great experience for everyone, though. Anyone, though, right? You know, yeah, it's certainly. When you broke your hand and you got it fixed for the $8,000, yeah. what was that in between time? What did you do? Oh, man, nothing. Nothing. I had no way to make money. And before that, I don't remember the hand, actually. That was the first thing I broke. But I remember when I broke the arm, I'd been a bouncer. And you can't work, you can't work as a bouncer with a cast. And uh, I actually cut the cast off myself to do the physical when I was 25 or 24 to get on the Richmond County Sheriff's Department. To, so, you know, like I left the cast on as long as possible and right. I cut it off, you know, right so I could do the physical. You cut your own cast off. Yeah, everybody so that does you can get that. A job. Yeah, cut my own cast off, drained my own ears, took my own stitches out. Everybody's done these things. <laughs> they probably didn't use, this is going to sound crazy, but toenail clippers, if you buy a new pair of toenail clippers, they get right through the stitches pretty easily. I'm sure there's a better way, but that's that's what I've used. So you'd go to a pharmacy. Buy a, buy a $3 oh. pair of toenail clippers and get those stitches right out. And I was so good at it, I would do it for other people. Toenail clippers and tweezers, man. You were like the Dr. Quinn of the I, I was, God, well, I wanted, so I, I forgot, but I wanted, I started school, I wanted to be a nursing major. I wanted to do like emergency medicine, you know, like mm -hmm. work in the ER or something like that. I never watched the show ER. So I didn't really, you know, I thought that's what I really want to do. And what changed? Uh, chemistry and calculus changed my mind right off that fast. Boy, that <laughs> stuff was hard, man. Woo! I don't want to be a nurse that bad. Anatomy, cool. Biology, love it. Um, chemistry, nah, I'm out. I'm with you on that. Liberal arts, here we come. <laughs> when does it become possible that you could be a a fighter at a high level when the UFC dream. Yeah, yeah, you know, not until the ultimate fighter, you know. I mean, it's a story I've told a million times, but I was a cop in Georgia. I was trying to, you know, trying to get back, maybe do grad school so I could get into federal law enforcement. And this was like a five-year plan. I was in no hurry. You know, I was just getting settled in my first year at the sheriff's department. I was enjoying having a home and a car that was dependable. <laughs> I had a truck with a payment. It was great. The, the Augusta, Georgia dream right there. And, um, you know, I was going to take a fight in Atlanta for a buddy of mine, I forgot his name, for like 250 bucks just for fun. And the people I was training with, <laughs> I was like 235 probably, 230 at the time, and the people I was training with were like buck 75, buck 85. <laughs> and then I would, I would go spar at the, uh, the Augusta Boxing Club every now and again, and I was pretty legit sparring. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So you're going to take a fight for fun, but yeah, you were yeah. out of the game. No, I was out of the game. I just wanted, you know, just 250 bucks to basically cover my costs. So what ultimately gets you back in? Man, a guy named Frank Bishop uh, got a call. So they were looking for people for a reality show. I ended up talking to somebody on the phone. And so I 
Oh, man, it's a crazy story. So I was, uh, well, you have to give 21 days notice. I only had 18 days or 19 days notice, 17, whatever, to make up my mind to do the show. So to be eligible for rehire, you had to give 21 days notice. I didn't have that much notice when I found out about the show. And then, like, at your time that you quit to be eligible for rehire, you have to have done over a whole year. I was at, like, 11 months and 22 days. So I missed both the cutoffs. So I was, uh, if, if I'd have come out to Las Vegas and the Ultimate Fighter hadn't worked out, I could not be rehired by the department I worked for just based on those two criteria. Mm-hmm. And I had had, I didn't mention this, but so I spent about a year trying to get a job, failing polygraphs, failing psychologicals. Um, and this is after I had a degree too, which is the only reason why they would even look at me. But man, I tell you, I don't believe in polygraphs. Because I have passed them and failed them, giving the same set of lies. <laughs> that's true. I swear that's true. What'd you lie about? Uh, just drugs. I just tried to minimize my drugs and theft. Yeah. I stole a weight belt from uh, a gym, and I stole some candy from uh, Food Lion when I worked there. But you had to figure out your way around the polygraph. Well, yeah, yeah. I smoked marijuana maybe uh, six times in my life. But then saying no to the polygraph. Yeah. You had to learn how to do that. Yeah. How'd you learn how to do that? No, no, no. I was, <clears throat> I was honest. Yeah. I was, re- I was, the truth is, I was relatively like, honest. I mean, I minimized things, but I was pretty honest, and I still failed. But then I passed another polygraph with the same answers. No problem. So I was going to work for uh, you know, a different department. Sure. And then uh, I failed the psychological. So basically, to get your job that you had, crazy. <laughs> what you're saying is to it, get the job yeah, you I struggled had, for a long time to, to get, get the job. Yeah. And now... You're at to give it up. A point yeah, to yeah, give yeah. it up and get back into the game, or to say no to the ultimate yeah, fighter yeah. one, or, or to get my two years in and at, at Richmond County Sheriff's Department to get in grad school, to do grad school, to get two more years in, and then you know be about twenty seven, twenty eight, and then get into federal law enforcement. So tell me about Judgment Day when it comes down to it, and you had to make the decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was at the airport, Atlanta Airport. And I, I called my lieutenant, Lieutenant White, great guy, and said, uh, hey, you still got my resignation handy or my letter or whatever. And he's like, yeah, can you maybe, uh, I've been gone about 10 days. And I said, can, can you maybe, like, adjust my leave time so that I've been here and, and maybe just throw that resignation away? And he was like, yeah, I thought you might say that. I got it right here. And I said, well, hold on, let me, let me, let me, uh. Let me call. And I ended up talking to a guy named Amit, who was a producer on the show. Um, and I bumped into him. He's still in the game doing stuff. Um, and it was really him. And then Dana talked to me. And again, Dana talked to me. I was already, I was already like, I was already all the way in. Yeah. So, you know, I, right then I came up with a relatively smart thing for a 26 year old. I said, uh, you know, it's, in life, it's best to regret the choices you make and then the choices you don't make. Right. You know, regret doing stuff, not the lack of doing things. Um, and uh, you think about it, what if I wouldn't have gone? I'd be some old fat cop in Georgia, and I'd be like, man, I could have done that. I'd have watched that first Ultimate Fighter and been like, I could have beat those guys. They're clowns. You know? And people have been like, yeah, shut up, man. But thank God you did. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So what did you expect when you went onto the show? Man, so I'd never seen a reality show in my life. Like, never. Yeah. Uh, I like scripted television. And then I didn't watch a ton of TV then. So uh, I used to read books. It's weird. Uh, they got boring for me. But anyway, uh, so <laughs> the guy said, that's like the real world, but with fighters. And the producers thought that too. They didn't know what they were getting into, like the, the PAs and the camera crew. They didn't know what they are getting into. And the first thing that, that I thought maybe we were off to a bad start is when we got to the house and we looked at the food, it was like, Diet Cokes, Pop-Tarts. It was like the same food that they put in the real world houses. Right. And I was like, um, we're, we're halfway through, man. We, we can't eat this crap. We, like, I'm 235 pounds. I was 233 pounds the day I showed up. I was like, um, yeah, I got to, I got to, you got to, got to help me out, man. This ain't going to work. Not going to make 205. Yeah, anytime soon. So what happened? They, they figured it out. 61 yeah. days, we all figured it out. How would you describe what life was like in the Ultimate Fighter house the first season? Man, I don't know. It's like anything. You look back and it seems like kind of an awesome experience because of the way things turned out. 
But if things turned out differently, I'd have probably been like a little waste of my time. But I made some good friends. Uh, I enjoyed meeting those people. And I've always thought this, man. People that get into the sport. Like, I noticed this talking to Quentin Jackson one day on The Ultimate Fighter. Um, we had relatively similar backgrounds. Same stories about our families. Uh, you know, we're even athletes. You become relatively similar. You know, you think about athletics as kind of a, something that unites a lot of people from different backgrounds different beliefs and 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 i think that one thing to have in common with somebody sometimes outweighs all your differences right april 9th 2005 yeah what happened uh yeah me and stefan put on a pretty decent fight and sure did. and the the biggest aspect of that uh was you know maybe it was like kind of a tipping point too just that whole fight the show the culmination of the show but the biggest thing is there was like a, a napkin deal done in the back to to do a season two of the Ultimate Fighter. Mm-hmm. Spike and the UFC guys were kind of, uh, you know, they were, uh, well, I mean, you've, I watched the 20 for 25 on it. It was pretty great. Um, and, uh, you know, it was right, it was kind of right there. You know, we're close to being profitable. We don't know what's the, you know. And then uh, after that, they were like, we should do this. When did that happen? It happened, like, right after the Ruth Franklin fight. So like during the fight, like crush. that night, yeah, like that night. Yeah. And were you a part of that, or did you? Just no, 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 no. I just I, no, no. I just it's the the many the, yeah. the many lures. I just watched the video. But your experience about. of that night was what? It was amazing. Man. We went back to the Hard Rock. I had some of my best friends in the world out here with me, just because we were all UFC fans. That's what you have to understand. It's like we all wanted to be here. We wanted to be around, you know, people. And and I got to do interviews at 7 in the morning with Ken Shamrock all week, you know. And and he was like, you're a pretty big guy. You're going to make 205? (laughs) I was like, yeah, I think so. Uh, So that night, what sticks out from that night? When you think back on that night? I mean, just like when when that fight was over, I was like, hey, you know what? My job now is to be a professional fighter. I don't have to be a cop. I don't have to... I don't have to work security for Goody Mob anymore. I am a professional fighter. And how did and that feel? I can put, it was, felt great because you're like, hey, now I can put all my energy into being really good at fighting. And then, uh, you know, we were going to go out drinking and stuff. And I just like, man, I didn't need alcohol right now. I'm just yeah. so, so high on life, bro. <laughs> you know, I just want to, I just was like, oh, let's do something. Let's do anything. Let's do it. Yeah. So now you're a name. You're Forrest Griffin. Yeah. You're a UFC fighter. Yeah, yes and no, but I was. You, eh, 2005, you know. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of people. As you go on as a UFC fighter now, what was like, wh- how is it different? I mean, you know, I got up at 10 a.m., practiced at noon, practiced again in the evening, you know, lift weights. Do, you know, it was really cool. Like, I like a routine like that for the most part. So it was fun. I got to travel around a little bit, go to different camps, work with different people. Um, I got to work with guys at AKA. I got to work with some different gyms in Atlanta. So you can cross-train a little bit. That was cool. You're building up to 2008 when you fight Rampage for the title. So what do you remember about getting the title fight in anticipation of that? I don't I don't. How know. big of a deal was it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I can't understate it for me. You know, in, in life, not a big deal. Uh, but but for me at that time that was a culmination like that's what I wanted that's what I set out to do when I was twenty and I found the sport that's your ultimate dream and it's something I never even said when I was sober like I want to be champion I was like eh, I want to do this I want to make more than I would as a cop save a little money and then go back get back into law enforcement and be like Andy Griffin the sheriff of a small town I I had I had my exit strategy planned out yeah. I want to be like sheriff of a little podunk town in Georgia, you know? If it was that big of a deal professionally, why do you say in life not a big deal? Oh, because, I mean, just, you know, your, your children, your, your health, your parents, you know? Um, just for me, for my personal selfishness. And that's the cool thing about fighting, um, for me anyway, and for a lot of people I think it can be, uh, it's the ultimate expression of you. It's you time. It's your thing. It's you. It's a sport of one. It is a great thing. It is, uh, it is inherent to be selfish. You know, we we saw some of uh, the Karate Hottie in her documentary having a hard time accepting that she has to be selfish. She has a husband and a, and a daughter and 
jeez, I have to be selfish though. And like, you know, you, you, in human nature, for a lot of good people, it's like, well, I don't want to be the selfish. But yeah, you have to be if you really want to achieve stuff. And how did you manage that? Oh, I'm just selfish. I'm just selfish. I don't have a lot of other people in my life either. Like, I don't have a lot of, uh, you know, I, you remember watching me walk around. Did you ever see me with a big posse, like with a bunch of people? Nah, because you got to be responsible for them. I would show up to open workouts and have to hit on other with other people's guys because I wouldn't even bring my own because I was like, man, I got to pay them for the day if I bring them. I don't want to pay them just to sit in the truck with me all day and hit minutes for 10 minutes. Just leave them home. So your personality helped in that regard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just not... Um, it's easier to be selfish if you're just straight up and down about it and never make promises or have people hanging on, you know? I don't want people to want something from me, you know? I pay my trainers at the end of every week. You won't find anybody that says I didn't pay them. I didn't pay them well, but I paid them. I paid them promptly. Yeah. So you win the title. What was life like as a UFC champion? It was stressful. Why? Because you're a champ, man. Everybody's gunning for you. You know? Um, guy like John Jones sees it. He's just a beautiful competitor to watch because he sees it as just an opportunity to always get better, to be challenged. I saw it as something, you know, it's like the, the biblical story about the 10 talents, you know. You give the guys 10 talents. I wanted to bury mine and keep it safe. You know, John Jones wants to invest his and make it bigger and make it grow. So, yeah. So the stress of the anticipation of a fight from when you were a kid kind of creeps back grew in. so much. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but you know, hey, man, money. Uh, notoriety, all that stuff takes the initial fun, purity of a thing out of a thing. And all of a sudden, it's not Fight Club anymore. Uh, this, is, this is, you know, a sport that, you know, people are watching, people know who I am, I owe it to my mother, because she's what, you know, it becomes a deal, right? Yeah. If you let it, and you have to embrace that. And I didn't figure out how to embrace that and how to have fun with it until it was done. But I'm sure that's what a lot of people say, right? Yeah. So now... As somebody who's been there, done that, you worked your way up. BTDT. <laughs> yeah. You became everybody, a everybody in this building's got like, you know, RD, MSC. Uh-huh, right, right. Uh, DPT. Right. Uh, BTDT. So you've like been that. there, yeah. done that. BTDT. Yeah. You it's achieved your professional it, right? dream of, of becoming a fighter in the yeah. UFC, then yeah. a champion. And now you hear it time and time again, all these guys, I want to be champion. I'm going to do what it takes to be the best. What would you tell those fighters? The ones who haven't achieved it yet but want to, and that's all they talk about. I mean, I would say, good. Keep it up. If that's, that's your laser focus, beautiful. I mean, if anything, Bisbing's the story for that, right? Like I, I'll be honest. After the Tim Kennedy fight, fight I thought, Bisbing's not the same. He beat everybody on conditioning and transitions. Since his eye, he, he's not conditioned like he was, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought he was probably going to be done. Boom, little did we know. And that's why, that's why this is the best sport there is. You know, you're talking about the human story, right? Do you want to connect with somebody? you want to connect with Tiger Woods? Sorry, I can't connect with Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, to me, is, is a one-in-a-million anomaly. Whereas Michael Bisping, he was a carpenter. Uh, a DJ, he was a bouncer, you know, myself, bouncer, a cop. But, you know, we're, we're more like every man. You know, even John Jones failed at collegiate wrestling. wasn't great. Got beaten by Matt Riddle, you know. It, John uh, Cormier uh, didn't make weight in the Olympics. One of the worst moments in U.S. Olympic wrestling history, right? Uh, came back from that to become champ champ, to defend both belts, to, you know, it's crazy, right? It is. It's, it's, this is the sport where there's more on the line and it's more individual and it's more about that person than any other sport, right? Uh, again, I, I was an early adapter, right? And I saw this and I thought, well, I like basketball and football. And I still watch some playoffs. And I also watch some, some, you know, whatever, some hockey. Yeah, I mean, nothing compares to the, to the realness of MMA. The old tagline for the UFC was as real as it gets. And I always liked that. Because it's really true, man. You know, you're, you're playing a sport. You're putting a ball through a hoop where we are dominating another person in the most complete form of competition ever created, designed to be as safe as it can possibly be. 
in front of a lot of other people. Oh yeah, and that like fear of fear of public speaking. Like I still have it. You know, I had to meet some kids this morning. I was nervous. Like, oh, what am I gonna say? December two thousand eight, you fight Rashad Evans with the belt on the line. That's right. What was the difference of fighting as the challenger to fighting as the champion? Uh, I don't know. That there was a huge difference. You know, I mean, again, that that belt. You know. And it's funny. I was so weird. I was like, yeah, I just want to defend it one time, and then I'll be good. And then, uh, yeah, that didn't work out for me. Compare winning the title to losing the title. Uh, it wasn't that big of a deal. You know? Why do you say that? I don't know. It just didn't affect me. Like, I can tell you I went out and had fun at that after a party. I don't know. It was almost like, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. That's been lifted. And that's why guys like Pierre and Jones and and uh, Silva, you have to like, man, to wear it and want to wear it takes somebody special. And you know what? I could have been a little different. I could have played my cards different. It's kind of what I started the interview with. I'm a negative Nancy. I'm a, oh, God, I got to do so much work, you know? I, I could have, uh, definitely I would have changed my mental game looking back. In what way? This is a good thing. This is an opportunity. You get an opportunity to prove yourself. You know, look, look, look forward, not... You know, don't don't invest your 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 talents wisely. Don't you know, grasp them to you, squeeze them as hard as you can with your fingers. I don't want to lose this, you know, and that's how you lose things, right? You just squeeze and it comes through your fingers, and that's you know that that's kind of what what uh, what I always did, you know. But after that fight, you wake up and you was that what was there a sense of what? No, I mean I, relief. No, not really relief, but like yeah, you know, I figured yeah. I can get better. You know, I still have the optimism. I'll get better. Yeah. I'll work. I'll try to change a few things up. I can get back there. It was before, you know, this is back when, you know, Shogun and Quentin and Rashad and Machida and, and all guys that I thought I could. I got a chance for those guys, all of them. Machida would have been a tough one. But any of those guys, I'd fight those guys. Feel good about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but then, you know, like guys like Jones starts coming along and you're like, whew, glad I got out what I did. <laughs> you know? How would you describe your UFC career in general? <sighs> well, you know, the best way, I had a lot of luck. I've always been lucky in life. And, you know, luck is when you're an opportunity or all that, or the residue of whatever. No. I have had good luck and bad luck. <laughs> luck, it turns out, can be impartial. And, uh, you know, I had really unlucky breaks as well. And then really lucky breaks. So that's what, that's, that's what I think of when I think of my career. Man, things went amazingly well for me on some nights. And then, man, everything was just against me on some nights. That's the thing about luck. I think it was actually Peter Dinklage was saying something about it, you know, Game of Thrones actor. Um, you know, this is not this is not luck. This is just the result of like doing it again and again. You know, I got unlucky as much or more than I got lucky, but I got lucky. What was your luckiest break? Joe Silva saying, "Hey, I saw this Forrest Griffin guy at a local show years ago. You should put him on the Ultimate Fighter." Right? Yeah. Tough to top that. No. Yeah. Because I mean, that's you track all back. Otherwise, I'm teaching defensive tactics right now. Close quarter combat, gun retention, edged weapon. In Georgia. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe I've gone national by now. That stuff's becoming really popular. I'm actually yeah. flying down to work with the Border Patrol guys for a couple of days. Wow. What was the unluckiest break? Uh, man, you know, you get sick right before a fight, get, got knocked out before the Anderson fight, knocked out cold two weeks before. And, uh, you know, just was never right, wasn't sleeping, yada, yada. So don't don't get knocked out. And this is back before there were 40 events, mm-hmm. and it was as kind of easy to pull out of a fight if you didn't have to, have to. Right. How would you describe your trilogy with Tito Ortiz? Man, you know, it's still... All that done, 45 minutes, and I don't feel like... I feel like it was a bad movie that just ends without a satisfying, you know? Some, eh, somebody should have knocked somebody out, tapped somebody out. It's just 
45 minutes of grinding on each other, you know? It's just like one of those like really good indie films that you're like, oh, this is pretty good, this is pretty good. And then when it comes time for the finale, it's just like, and we're done. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 that's how that went. But no, I don't want to rematch. He, he's, he's in pretty good shape. He looks pretty good. But your last one was ultimately your last I know, fight. his retirement fight. I know. So you got to give him that, which, I mean, unfortunately. He, uh, a lot of the sport is about, you know, like a Cormier and Tito. You can, how long can you do it at this level? Not just can you do it at this level, but how long can you stay here, have these big fights, and do this? Because it, it's a toll on your body. It's a toll on everything. It's hard. There's always somebody new coming to shoot the old vet off, you know? How long did you expect to go? Oh, man, I thought I had another six fights, realistically. Yeah. Yeah. What changed that? Blew my knee out, ACL, MCL, meniscus. And then eight months later, I blew my meniscus again. And then, so I already have no right shoulder to speak of. And so I was like, a lot of kicking, a lot of leg work. I'm on a, you know, I'm actually pretty, or I used to have, I played basketball, so I actually pretty decent footwork. And I'm like, I'm going to adopt this Dominic Cruz, Michael Bisbing type footwork style. And I blew my knee out, and I'm like, nope. That is it. No knee, no shoulder. No good. When did you know? Uh, the second I went in for my second knee scope, and they were like, yeah, I don't know. This is a little worse than we thought. And I was like, man, I'm done. I was only 36, I think. Yeah. 36, yeah. And you're in the hospital? Well, I'm in the doctor's office, and they're saying, no, it's, this is torn. This is not a... It's retorn. And you knew sitting in the doctor's I office. Like, I, I don't. I just like I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, it's done. What was that like? I don't know, man. It sucked. Still sucks to think about it. Thanks for depressing me. Thanks for ruining my day, man. Just want to get to where you're at. Yeah, man. Well, now I'm depressed. That sucked. I'll bring you back up. Yeah. All right. Good. Good. Let's go back up. Just a feeling of emptiness. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's not the way, you know, everybody, you kind of design your own death right in your head, you know, but I watch too many movies, so I do, and then uh, it's not the way I wanted to go out. How did you How did you picture going out? So I thought I could do, like, some more headline shows and fight all other old people and not really, so the old mentality from Dana and Lorenzo and the, and the higher-ups was, if you're not fighting for the belt or to be the best, what are you fighting for? And I never felt like that. I never did. I was like, I'm, I'm fighting because fighting's fun. <laughs> you know what's more fun? Fighting people about your same skill level, even if they're not the best in the world. You know, let me, let me fight those guys. Let me fight other old names. But that is, not, that is not the way the sport works. It just ended abruptly. Yeah, yeah, again. That like that stupid indie picture that just, and eh, we're done now. Right. It's anticlimactic. How often do you think about it now? Not, not that often. No. You know, you, you get lost in your day-to-day, right? Yeah. I'm sure you do the same. It's like, oh, this event I have coming up. Or, oh, it doesn't haunt you. Got to build a pit. No, but when I sit back and reflect, I don't, it's, it's not, it's a bad taste. When you knew that fighting was done. Yeah. What did you think you would do? Um, I mean, I thought I would definitely work for the UFC and do something. Uh, at that point, you know, 36, 37 maybe, um, I knew I'm doing something in fighting. You know, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to be in the game. That's what I am. That's what I know at this point. I've been doing it for 17 years. Um, this is, this is going to be what I'm about. I'm not going to go back and... I can't do a pull-up, man. I couldn't pass the police academy. I don't know if I could run three miles or do a pull-up. I got no knee, no shoulder. So my ability to go back in law enforcement is done. Tell me about when you found out that you'd be a UFC Hall of Famer. Um, again, so I got me and Stefan were talking about this because we went in and we got like a little celebration together and we were both really depressed. Why? It was over. You know, it was kind of over and it was like, ah, man, you know, I could have done more. I could have, you know, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. I wish I wouldn't have taken this fight. I wish I would have asked for that fight. I wish I hadn't blown my knee out. I wish I hadn't gotten punched in the chin so many times in, in uh, practice, you know. So it was, it, was, it was not like the happiest day for me. 
to be inducted into yeah. the UFC Hall of Fame. Yeah. It was more what you could have done. Yeah, I mean, that's just, I mean, again, that's kind of how I'm wired. Yeah. So. How do you wear it now? So, hey, that's exactly where I was going with that, is that now, hey, don't don't leave any cards on the table in this go. You know, you want to do something, you have an idea, you want to say something to meeting, you think there's something that could be better here, you got to speak up, you got to say it, or you're going to, or, and I, I have, you know, I had a good idea, that was a good idea, and then you won't say it. And then the worst of it, this happened a couple times where I didn't say something right away, and then somebody else was like, well, I've got an idea, and I was like, it's a good idea. Uh, just said that, you know. So that's that's kind of you have to again let that drive you into the next great passion in your life. And now, as toughest a- thing there is to do is transition from becoming a professional athlete to becoming not a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, you've had one goal. A lot of times, you get these Olympians there, and they're you know thirty two, thirty three, no money. What do I do now? When I was eight, I started bobsledding. Thirty four. I'm not good enough to be good. I'm never going to make that next Olympic cycle. What do I do? That is tough. Yeah, and what was that like for you? Man, I got lucked out. Again, I walked right into the UFC job. I started doing uh, community outreach. It was now corporate social responsibility. And, um, you know, something, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually relatively passionate about that sort of stuff, charity work. And, you know, so this is great. Yeah. Your mindset of, regret doing something instead of regret not doing something yeah. now that you're a parent yeah how does that affect you that's a good question that's a very good question my daughter is like me and my wife she's a wuss so what you don't realize is i'm afraid every time i get on a plane my wife has not my wife or daughter they haven't been on planes since my wife got pregnant we are we are the play it safest people in the world i do stuff like i've jumped out of a plane i've done the rides at the stratosphere i've done some stuff but I don't enjoy doing it. I do it just because it's a fear that I have, so I have to do it, obviously. you know. But So I, I feel like my daughter is pretty safe. I'm going to actually have to encourage her. And the other thing, so she just learned how to ride her bike without training wheels in about three minutes. You know why? Because I waited until she was damn near eight. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't push it. Uh, potty training for us, like getting out of diapers, took about less than a month because we would did it like two and a half. We waited until she was ready, you know. Right. But you got to. I mean, she's gonna have to take chances. She's gonna have to apply to school. She doesn't want to go. Want, doesn't think she could in, get into. Do it. Yeah. You know, maybe join the military. Say, hey, that's a good opportunity. Yeah, yeah, of course. It should make you nervous. Life is scary, man. Yeah, but you're gonna have to do it. You're gonna have to take those chances. How much are you gonna teach her based on your story? I mean, I <clears throat> intentionally, I mean, it's just who I am, right? The story's your story, getting to where you are, it's made you who you are. Same thing with me. So that is what I'll pass on to my children, yeah. my child. I read something about when your daughter was born and you were fighting. Yeah. So I was actually, I, I, it was, a, if you ever um, get knocked out in a fight, and that was the fight when Shogun knocked me out when I realized that I would not be back at the top. Because if, if I'd have beaten Shogun, I'd have been back in the title hunt. But I got knocked out first round. Um, and my wife, that day, she's got preeclampsia or whatever. She's, like, about to, you know, go into labor. So Dana flew me back on his plane with him. I got back, took a shower, picked up a bunch of stuff, went, met my wife at the hospital. And about 10 hours later, we had a baby. It's a beautiful way to do it. And I never gave that thought, that fight, another thought. And the idea of moving on was just, yeah, yeah, fine. I'll fight again, but I'll never be, you know, I probably won't fight for the belt again, whatever. When did you find out your wife was in labor? Um, I mean, that morning before the fight. She wasn't in labor, but she's like, yeah, you know, this is going on, that's going on, don't worry. I'll wait for you, but I'm going to go to the hospital now. Love you. How did that affect your day? Didn't. It didn't. You got a fight that night. Yeah, but it didn't affect me that much. You're in Brazil. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you want to get back. You want to see the birth of your first child. But I don't know. You don't. You don't have children yet, right? One. You want. So I didn't realize what a big deal it was until that moment. So like, even when when my wife was pregnant, it didn't hit me. Hit me until I got back home, and she's going into labor, and we're talking, and there's a baby coming out, and there's a crying life. <laughs> 
laying on you know that's when you're like oh my gosh yeah if I would have missed this I would I would hate myself but now you can look back and see what kind of moment that was yeah. in that whole experience. But fortunately, I didn't really know going into it. <laughs> right? Yeah, no. It's again, it's like getting in a fight versus getting in a fight at 3 o'clock today. Getting in a fight right now, not that hard. Right. Getting in a fight at 3 o'clock, man, I'm going to think about every possible outcome, every consequence. That sucks. What would you say is the biggest difference in the sport of mixed martial arts now? Than when you were competing. Well, you know, it's the level of athleticism. It's the level of popularity. Uh, talent goes where the money is. And I was in that first wave where it truly became mainstream, 2005, 6, 7, 8, where you're like, oh, my gosh, this is a mainstream sport. Now the people that saw that and start training multiple disciplines at 13, 14 years old, now they're starting to come into the pro fold. You know, now we're seeing those people come in as the complete athlete. Right. How would you compare yourself to the fighters of today? Well, they're obviously much better, but they've been training better. They've got better training habits. They've got more professionality. They understand more about the sport. They've seen more things happen. And, and then another thing you can't underestimate on the, is the influence, the rise of the YouTubes of the world, right? So you've got YouTube, you've got stuff like this. Um, so now I used to have to pay money to go to seminar to learn a move, a kick, a way to stand. Now you see it see it in a fight because there's a million fights, right? Somebody's always doing something cool, and then you see it, and then Monday we practice it in the gym. So you can learn jiu-jitsu off YouTube. True. Yeah. Overall, the sport of mixed martial arts, the UFC, how does it strike you in the current day? Uh, Well, I mean, I love the sport of mixed martial arts, right? It's growing. It's getting more popular. Uh, To me, I realize there's a saturation point. There's a ceiling. There's only so many people that are going to really, truly want to watch another human being get hit. And that's fine, man. That's fine. As long as everybody that wants to see it can see it and has access to that, then we've done our jobs. You know, you just want to expose as many people to it, and then you kind of let them decide, I like this, I don't like this. Where do you think it's going to go from here? Uh, you know, more international and more more in the fabric of society, more as, you know, that fifth or sixth major sport, whatever Dan is always saying, you know, where it's just like, you know, and again, the ESPN deal, right? So now it's on SportsCenter. I grew up thinking that uh, I was on SportsCenter. You probably did, too. You probably were, like, passionate about SportsCenter, getting sure into was. broadcasting. Mm-hmm. I used to talk back to them every morning. <laughs> like, like, oh, yeah, did you see Did you see my boy? Yeah. 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 You see my boy Dave Robinson? That was a great move. Yeah. When you come across somebody who doesn't know who you are, they say, what do you do? Oh, I say I, I convince people that it's a good idea to go fight other people in a cage for money. Yeah. It's usually what I say. And what's their reaction? Cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you mean like that UFC? Yeah. I used to do that. Now I just, I just help people do it. Is it funny to you when you have to explain it? Not explain yeah. what the UFC no, is, no, but explain but, that yeah, I, yeah. I was a fighter. Yeah. I was a champion. No, you, you see know. see the light bulb turning on? Well, yeah, but people say, your ears look funny. I knew something. I knew it, you know. Like, yeah, you got a busted up nose too. Now I get it. What do you enjoy the most about your work right now? A lot, there's really a lot of good things I get to do. Not to brag, not to humble brag or anything, but no, I, I, I mean, I enjoy kind of uh, controlling things for fighters that they don't even realize that are being controlled for them, right? Like things that are making their lives easier that they never even see or have to complain about, you know? So it's little details. How are we going to weigh in? How are we going to do this? How much media do we have to do? Um, how should I train? What's the best way to, you know, get involved? Or, or you know. So they, they do so. The UFC does so much. I don't think people realize. From, like, getting the cutmen, the referees, the commissions, getting the sport legalized in a place like New York, France. So there's, there's and I guess, you know, there's a lot of diversity in my job, too. Because I get to go and, and kind of present to people around the world get to work, um, doing a little work with the Amateur Mixed Martial Arts Association right now. Just set the standard for how you train for the sport of mixed martial art, right? Yeah. So it's, it's wide open, man. Sport's less than 25 years old, right? 25, 25th year, 26 now maybe. Um, we don't know. Like every basketball, football, soccer player, they know how to train for that position. But in UFC, you train according to your body. You train according to your past experience and what you're good at and how. So it's, it's a much more complex chess game. Yeah. So, you know, just how do we dial that in? How do we 
uniform that? How do I pull that template out? How do I develop a template and then apply it to me? Well, yep. Forrest Griffin. That's a lot of talking, man. So been, many fucking words. This has been amazing. All the words. And then I didn't cuss till right at the end. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good luck. Yes, good luck. There you have it. The one and only Forrest Griffin. It's something I've discovered in doing just a couple of interviews for this show as it gets started is that when I spend time talking to fighters like this, I truly have been learning from them. Life lessons, which, of course, when we talk to somebody like this and get their stories and their journeys, we can learn from everyone. So hopefully that becomes a pleasant side effect for all of us with this show. We can learn what they've learned and maybe apply it to our own life. For Forrest, if there's regret, make it in something you did. Don't regret not doing something and wish you did later. He took a chance. He quit his job. He went on the Ultimate Fighter. And look what it turned into. As it relates to this, I was thinking of this podcast. I was excited about it, but it takes doing it. And nobody was going to tell me to do it. I had to decide, you know what? If I don't launch my own podcast before too long, I'll wonder how it would have turned out. I'll wish that I would have done it before. So here I am. The show has been launched. And thanks for being a part of it from the ground floor. Just a reminder to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, I have a YouTube channel if you want to check that out. But these interviews are audio only, so there won't be video. And I'll be active on Twitter and Instagram to let everyone know what's coming up for the show. Leave a review on iTunes if you'd like. You could drop the name of a fighter that you'd like to hear from on the show, and I'll do my best to track them down. You can also listen and get more information at fitsinafighter.com and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at TV. Thank you so much. Truly, thank you for listening to Episode 1. Fight your fight and stay tough. See you next time on Fits in a Fighter. Fitsinafighter.com